0: Lord Jesus, we confess that there are so many little gods in our lives that take our focus off you, and we pray that you would use Scripture to draw our vision, to draw our eyes, to draw our hearts back to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. My wife and I have a friend who bought a brand new BMW, and one day she was driving around and she started thinking to herself, My new car is so much better than all these other cars on the road. And she was kind of horrified that she had that thought, so she said, Lord, that was terrible. Break me of my idolatry. About five minutes later, someone smashed into her car and put it in the shop for two weeks, which took care of the idolatry, but left her wondering why, out of all the prayers she's prayed in her life, (laughs) God answered that one in five minutes. (laughs) Things we'll never know until we get to heaven. We are continuing a series of sermons called Counterculture, about how we who call ourselves Christians can live counter to the cultural addictions that are all around us and do that in ways that are life-giving and refreshing to us and to others. And today I want to talk about uh, uh, an issue that may not seem like it's relevant to our culture. Idolatry, which is what we see in the story that we just read. And at first that doesn't seem like it's really relevant to our culture. Idolatry is one of those funny biblical words That sounds kind of ancient and foreign to us and gives us images of primitive people bowing down in front of statues. Now, I doubt that any of you got up this morning and bowed down in front of a statue of Zeus, just taking a guess. But biblically speaking, idolatry is a lot more than that. Idolatry is when we turn to something other than God to give us security, comfort, or happiness. By that definition, we're all idolaters. Because there are a lot of things we turn to other than God. Money is probably one of our favorite little false gods that we worship. Because we think money can get for us almost anything the real God can get for us. Except, of course, for joy, peace, goodness, whole relationships, and eternal life. But other than that, we worship money. Sex, entertainment, career, education, reputation... All can become idols for us if we turn to them for security rather than to Christ. Even church can become an idol. A church is essential to help us know Jesus and help us become like Jesus. But if we're more more devoted to certain forms of worship, traditions, certain music, than we are to Jesus, well then that's idolatry. One of my professors in seminary was on the committee that did the revised standard version of the Bible back in the 50s which was the first major English translation of the Bible since the King James was done in 1612. And he got tons of angry letters from people who were convinced that it was sacrilegious to read the Bible in any other version than the King James. And often he would read one of his favorite letters to his classes from an irate man who called him all kinds of names and then concluded his letter with this great sentence. If the King James Version was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it was good enough for me. Apparently forgetting that English wasn't invented till 1,300 years after Paul lived. But the P.S. on the letter was even better. It said, P.S., I have burned a copy of your RSV Bible and have sent you the ashes, hoping God does the same to you. And then he signed it, in the love of Christ. (laughs) So here's a man who apparently cared more about a certain translation of the Bible than he did about Jesus or acting like Jesus. That's... Idolatry. Now, a lot of the things that become idols for us are good things, not bad things. Money, sex, traditions, education, all are good things when they're used appropriately. But if they get more of our attention than God, if we look to those things to provide for us what only Jesus can, that's idolatry. As I've said to you before, show me your calendar and your checkbook, and I'll show you your God. What we spend our time on and our money on, that's what we worship. And I think there's probably a lot of reasons we turn to these little mini false gods. For starters, they seem more tangible. God's invisible. Our idols aren't. Now, there's a good reason that God's invisible, because if he were to make his existence absolutely crystal clear, we would have no choice but to follow him. That would make us robots rather than human beings capable of love. So God has to leave room for faith. But that makes the things of the world seem a little more tangible than God. I think another reason we turn to idols is because they're more convenient. God gives us certain disciplines for our own good. Just like a coach who makes his athletes practice so they can reach their full potential. That's what God does for us. And our little false gods that we worship, they don't ask anything inconvenient of us. And I think a third reason that we turn to false gods is that we don't want to wait on the real one. And that's what's going on in the story we read. It says that when the Israelites saw that Moses had been on the mountain for a long time. They made a calf and they worshipped it. So you got to kind of picture this scene, right? God leads them out of slavery, divides the Red Sea in two, provides water from a rock and drops down bread that comes out of the sky. Okay, pretty good start, don't you think? And, 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 and Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments and it takes them 40 days to do that. And they get tired of waiting on God so they create a little idol. Forty days, that's it. Forty days without God drying up any large bodies of water and they're ready for a new God. And that's us. We do this all the time. We get impatient. Maybe we've been praying for God to help us out financially, but He seems slow. and So maybe we fudge the expense account or hold back on our giving and look to money, not God, for security. Maybe we're waiting on God to provide us comfort of some kind and seem slow in coming. So we turn to sex or alcohol or shopping to provide temporary relief. The things we turn to instead of God seem more immediate, more helpful, but they aren't. The tragedy of this story is that God wasn't absent at all. While the Israelites were worshiping their little calf, God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, His rules for how to live an abundant life and avoid a whole lot of pain. And God's doing all that for them, and they're worshiping this stupid little cow. The real thing God's preparing for us as we wait, is always more satisfying, always more long-lasting than the things we turn to instead. And what do we get in return for all of our idolatry? What do our idols give us? Nothing but a lot of trouble and pain. The first result of idolatry is bondage. If the false god we turn to is money, the result is workaholism and a feeling of insecurity that no matter how much we have, it's never enough. The false God called people pleasing that I sometimes worship, all that God ever gives me is stress, fear of failure, and anxiety about what everyone else thinks. The false God called entertainment, all that God gives me is a tendency to escape my problems rather than solve them. And unrealistic expectations as I begin to want five minute sitcom solutions to complex problems. That's bondage. In the Bible, people used to have to pack up their idols and carry them on their back from place to place. I think that is a great image for what idolatry does to us. It becomes a burden on our lives. A good question to ask is do you have to carry your God or does your God carry you? The God of the Bible carries us, our idols give us bondage. Second thing that happens because of idolatry is we lose closeness with God. I was talking to a man this week and He's been working hard for the last few months on a series of big deals. And he said to me, I kept thinking, once I get this big deal taken care of, then I'll have time for God. Then I'll start praying again. Then I'll go back to church. But of course, then never comes because there's always one more big deal. And he said, now I feel crusty and hard. I'm impatient. And somewhere along the way, I've lost God. In his pursuit of the false gods of success and money, he's lost intimacy with the real God. God didn't abandon him, but he walked away from God, from the living God, in exchange for a dead God that gives him no life. Bondage, loss of closeness with God, and the third thing that happens from our idolatry is we miss the abundant life God longs to give us. The Bible says, they who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that might otherwise be theirs. God offers us whole relationships with Him and with each other. The adventure of partnering with Him and redeeming this world. And hope that even the bad things, He'll use even the bad things for good. He offers all of that. But we cash it in for some false God that offers a temporary fix. They who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that might otherwise be theirs. So how do we get out of this? How do we get out of the bondage that idolatry creates? How do we live counter to our, our idolatrous culture? How do we live counter to a culture that idolizes everything from money to shopping to status to sex? How do we get out? Three things. First thing is you've got to turn to Jesus. God understands that our idols will sometimes seem more tangible to us than Him. And that's why He came Himself in the person of Jesus so that God could be, have, wear a human face and be a little more tangible. And he gave us the Bible, which tells us all about Jesus and what he was like. And he gives us worship to remind us weekly what Jesus is all about. And he gives us prayer where we can sometimes hear his voice and we can always communicate with him. And that makes Jesus more real to us. And over the years, as I have practiced these disciplines, you've got to practice them, but as I've practiced these disciplines, Jesus has become more real and I've learned to experience him. Not in a voice, but in thoughts that are clearly not my thoughts. And I've learned to recognize them as his. Now, it doesn't happen every time. It's not as if because I'm a pastor I have five bars on my cell phone connection to God, right? No drop calls. You know, no. But when it does happen, and when you realize that the God that spun the Milky Way just said something to you, well, that's a rush. That's a rush. And it makes those false gods seem a lot less attractive. Turn to Jesus through prayer, Scripture, and worship. The other way to get us out of bondage of idolatry is to practice the spiritual disciplines. You know, if money is your false god, God has given us a remedy. It's called sacrificial giving. And by letting go of some of our money and seeing that God always provides, we begin to trust Him more and see that He's more real. If people-pleasing is your false god, try doing something good and don't tell anyone about it. Or try confessing your sins to a trusted Christian friend so that they know the real you, not the you you pretend to be. If it's food you turn to for security, try fasting. God gives us the spiritual disciplines to train us to lean on Him more than the false gods. Turn to Jesus, practice the spiritual disciplines, and finally, if none of those things work, God will cast your idols down. Let Him. You know, as this story goes on, Moses comes down off the mountain, sees everyone worshiping this golden calf, and he says to his brother Aaron, "'I left you in charge, Aaron.'" what happened you know sort of like a bad babysitter what's been going on here right and Aaron comes up with the all-time worst excuse ever in human history this is what he says this is a quote it's not my fault they gave me the gold I threw it in the fire and out came this calf (laughs) like that is the worst excuse ever I mean like if you're gonna sin learn to cover it up better So Moses takes down the altar, you know, grinds up the calf, gets rid of it. For those of us who follow Jesus because he loves us so much, eventually he will take our idols away from us one way or the other because he loves us. Maybe we'll lose some of our money or reputation or whatever it is we're worshiping and find that God is sufficient. Or maybe we won't lose it, but those things over time will stop satisfying us. One way or another, he will take our idols away because he loves us. And he's not going to share us with some false God that only gives us pain. One of the more difficult weeks of my life was the week that I told my former church in California that I was going to come here to be the pastor. And it came at a very tough time for that church. The senior pastor had just retired and I'd been doing the bulk of the preaching and they were all sort of hoping I'd stick around to help with the transition. And for me it was hard to leave too. I'd come to that church bruised and beat up from a divorce and In the 11 years that followed, I found friends, a wife, and a calling, and that was tough to leave. You know, and I didn't know any of you yet. I mean, I assumed you'd be nice, but I hadn't met you. All I'd met was the search committee that brought me here, and you know, they were great, but occasionally I'd think, well, what if they just rounded up the only 13 nice people in the church and (laughs) put them all on that committee, right? I didn't know. And the day after, I told my church was terrible. Some people were sad. Some people were mad. They got over it, but some were mad. They said, how can you do this to us? You're abandoning us. You know? And I was nervous about coming up here. It was late October and 80 degrees in California, and that does things to a person who's coming to the Northwest, right? just does things, weird things. Well, in the middle of this, one of my former students called me up. This is a guy I mentored for five years, and... He was about 25 at the time, and he asked how I was doing. So I just unloaded on him for about 30 minutes all my fears, my insecurities, all my issues. And when I was done, he was silent for a while. And then he took a long breath, and he said, You have come to believe that you cannot be blessed outside of Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. And there are some people inside Menlo Park Presbyterian Church who are coming to believe that they cannot be blessed without you. The biblical word for that is idolatry, which is why you must both part company. And you will discover that it was God, not California, that blessed you and that he lives in Bellevue too, believe it or not. And I thought, hey, that's good. I'm going to use that in a sermon sometime. (laughs) Who was your mentor, boy? That was nice, right? Now, it's not that my former church was bad. It wasn't. It was good. But I had begun to turn it into an idol. It was God who had blessed me those 11 years. Yeah, He used the church for some of that, but He did it. And I am so glad that I did not let fear drive me to stay because I'd have missed out on so much. They who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that might otherwise be theirs, and I'd have forfeited a lot of grace. I'd have missed out on knowing so many of you who I just love. And I just love how God is at work in this church. And I love my job. And that is the first time in my life I have ever been able to say that. And I learned in a deeper way that it is Jesus that my hope is built on, and nothing else, and only He deserves my praise. And now that I have learned that lesson, I am hoping and I am believing that God called me to be here for a long, long time, knowing that everything comes from Him. In my former church, they were fine. They got a nationally known speaker to replace me, so they got an upgrade, right? And... <laughs> They're happy, I'm happy, I'm hoping you're happy. I'd have missed out on all of that if I'd hung on to that idol that I was making. So what are the false gods you're worshiping? What are you turning to to give you what only Jesus can give? Is it money, relationships, status, career? What is it? And how much bondage do you endure because of it? And how much grace are you forfeiting in the process? And how can you turn to Jesus and practice some spiritual disciplines so that he can set you free? You know, the truth is we all run away from the living God. But the good news is God never gives up. That's why when we were chasing after all of those idols that only leave us in pain, God loved us enough, he respected us enough to come himself in the person of Jesus and die for us to show us just how far he's willing to go to get us back. The whole of human history... It's about a God who is in passionate pursuit of a creation that is constantly running away from Him. And throughout it all, God is pleading, Those other gods, do they love you? Those other gods, do they respect you? Those other gods, can they do for you what only I can do for you? And Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of just how far God is willing to go to get us back. And if we turn to Him, He will make us free. So, in the words of the prophet Hosea, let us return. Let us return to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And though we are torn, he will bind us up. Though we are wounded, he will heal us. And he will come to us like the rain. Like the spring rain watering the earth, he will come to us like the rain. Lord, thank you that when we're running away from you, you run toward us. And that you never give up. Lord, we pray that you would help us turn our eyes to you. And fix our hope securely on you and nothing else. And we will be your people. We pray this in your name. Amen.